eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome into the Husker 24-7 podcast, Tuesday edition. I'm Michael Brunts. That's Brian Christofferson. And we got a lot to run through today, Brian, but I want to hit you with a, a, a very important question that I've been pondering this morning after Matt Rule tweeted some uh, workout footage from uh, Nebraska's the team commitment week. That's where we are on the calendar, I think. Is that right? Yep. That's, uh, I, I just marked it in on my calendar today. Okay. I didn't get the, didn't get the uh, alert on mine, so I'm still behind. How far could you carry Teddy Prohaska if he just jumped on your back right now? <laughs> it's like carrying a baby giraffe, right? Just kind of throwing him over dead. your shoulder. Yeah, yeah, that that'd be. It would depend if Teddy, um, wanted to let me live or not. Basically, like if he wanted to get up quickly after he crushed me, or, um. You know, if he didn't want to have mercy, maybe he didn't like a couple things we wrote, you know, or something like that. Last year, th- we thought we were a little too hard on the old line. They were inconsistent, though, weren't they? I mean, but anyway, yeah. Um, yeah, it would be up to Teddy to decide my fate in that situation. Six, six foot ten, 320 pounds worth of offensive tackle on your back. Could you could you get 20 yards with him? No, um, I couldn't get a yard. I I mean, I could get like two yards because you just fall down. But yeah. You you fall for you fall forward. I mean, you're a, you're a veteran, crappy veteran in that way. Fall we've forward. we've obviously been doing it a while, so you're used to holding the mics up to like a six seven or you know six eight lineman or whatnot. Yep. Um, and then basketball, of course, you got guys that are six ten and in that seven foot realm. But there's something about Teddy because of just the sheer you know mass of like his weight and then that 610 i was actually thinking about that the other day because i forgot he was 610 i was thinking he was like one of those six seven guys and i was like man he's just a giant you know um so but he was the uh he was tied for the most points in their system they had with chief borders so maybe Teddy earned points um, by being willing to be the guy who was carried and also to not crush guys. And maybe they gave, they gave him something for that, for being a good teammate, not being completely dead weight. So that the, the, we can get, that's a perfect segue into kind of what, where Nebraska is on the calendar. We, we heard from Matt rule yesterday, Matt rule, Thomas Fedoni, chief borders. And the, the kind of topic of the, it was a pre-spring, I guess, we're what, less than two weeks away from the start of spring ball, but kind of that, the wrap up of, of the competition week and, and time during uh, winter conditioning, what, what were kind of your takeaways of the way that this staff has kind of structured winter conditioning? Because it seems like it's been much more, much more than just 
lifting weights and, and trying to improve your 40. It's about accountability, it seems like, more than anything. He said early on you could have those clicks where guys like, you know, stick to their position groups or their best buddy, but maybe their best buddy's late. Maybe their best buddy can't run that fast or as fast as other guys or as, as strong as other guys. And so you needed to like surround yourself if you wanted to impress in this competition in front of new coaches with different people maybe and get outside your comfort zone. So I think as I listened to how the format was set up, I thought that's a good idea for taking a sledgehammer to clicks, you know, or like um, position group um, sort of like we're at this table because we're the, you know, wide receivers and the D linemen are over here. Like it, it, it cuts through that, I think pretty effectively and also puts a value on just like the detailed stuff. Cause it, the one the line that kind of stuck out to me is he said, these guys are really competitive. That's obvious. He thinks they're a fast team, but he did mention like the details got to get the details, like kind of iron out those wrinkles. And I think that goes to like even little stuff like, you know, being on time, be, being where you're supposed to be, being available, being someone you're the person you're right can trust. And I believe that's what the last, you know, six, seven weeks were about as much as anything. And um, probably the juiciest tidbit, which we'll have everyone guessing, he said it, uh, was that there was a starter who was like the last guy picked for when they got to this, a starter from last year who was Mr. Irrelevant in their like draft process of picking the teams. And, um, that's pretty interesting. So, I mean, uh, he, he does like, he, he's, he's very good at, uh, articulating his vision up there, but he also will throw out a little meat one or, you know, like, here you go. Like, think about that for a second. Who is that? You know, and is that, that's the way it's going to be around here. And I think it has to keep his players on edge a little bit too, and guessing, which is a good thing. Yeah. He also, what do you say? A couple of captains of the the teams had to be replaced because they weren't maybe holding up their end of the bargain with things. And it it's, you know, when you kind of think about it, I think it's pretty smart to do something like, I mean, they do this anyways. This is, you know, they've done it multiple and multiple stops at Baylor temple, but it's, you've got so many new people coming into the program. You've got coaches trying to learn who guys are. You've got young guys in your program who were way down on the depth chart and and trying to make an impression. It, it seems like just that kind of like culture of competition in some ways. It, it's uh, you know, th- there's a little bit there for everybody in the program, really. I mean, and, and even the guys that you know are wearing the black jerseys for doing mat drills well and things like that. Um, you know that they need to prove them prove to other people and, and to the coaching staff that you know you, you can't just rest on the fact that you'd been a starter under a previous staff and i don't know i mean i i would hope i guess that as you kind of you know as a as a player and and, and as a high level athlete you know you would probably thrive in a situation where there's competition, but it's also like kind of fun too. I mean, you're, you're with your buddies going to, you know, you get points for going to movies and stuff. You go to basketball games, things like that. I mean, it's, uh, I don't know. It, it's, will it matter? I guess, you know, when you're having to, you know, beat Wisconsin in the fourth quarter in November, I don't know, but it feels like it's, it's kind of, uh, you know, getting everybody on the same page in a way that's, you know, not so top down. I mean, I feel like they're kind of meeting the players where they are and and appealing to guys' competitiveness a little bit. Yeah. I also like the connectivity with that he's stressing within the athletic department, you know, um, like having those guys care about the other teams like and how they're doing and where it's not just like football's this big empire over here and you know you don't you don't pay any attention to anybody else like he's I think he's making a point like Husker athletics um it's at its best when everyone's sort of in on it together and I want my guys to be a, a real part of that and um they've got momentum kind of going right now in that department for the first time in a while. I mean, they've had it here in in one sport or two sports at times. Um, But it, it, you know, they've been getting some wins, but also there's sort of this just like good vibe uh, 
idea at least that i kind of get when you're around there uh you know even with basketball and stuff like that where you feel like they're um people are in it together and i think you got to give rule credit for really embracing that like as the head football coach he's he's the biggest deal here i mean he is and he when he's telling his guys like let's let's go to this tennis match and there's 25 30 guys there i mean i i think that's that's all useful stuff i also think getting out in the community and fostering like you're in it with these fans and they care so much about you and you know we've seen even some good teams from another era where it was sort of an us against them you'd have that i don't think i'm taking any leap to say that no no definitely Um, not um and fans felt it really like it was enough that fans understood that there was a little bit of a us versus them and some of those teams kind of fed off that like the fans were almost against them because they're tough critiques when they lose and stuff. So I like right away fostering kind of getting away from that, you know, with what you're doing now, now it's the off season. Everyone's feeling pretty good about things, but it's a good start. I think toward again, um, taking an ax and, you know, chopping that down, that idea of like, we're here. They can't understand us on the outside. Instead, there's been a lot of transparency you know, even like uh, there, he, he mentioned it, like someone asked about roster movement. If anybody had moved, he'd be like, well, if it, they have, it's on the website. And so, like, I mean, they're he's right now they're letting everybody kind of look through the window, I think, um, pretty well. It's a, it'll be interesting to see how that goes through practices and what all they do with that. Other things from Matt Rule yesterday, uh, Casey Thompson going to be extremely limited during spring. That's not you know, really a surprise there. Um, I think they're going to be really careful with him. I mean, Rule talked multiple times about not wanting guys to, you know, get re-injured. They're going to be really careful uh, from that point of view. Um, The the two players that were up there, um, I guess, is there anything else from Rule that, that is worth mentioning? That was, those are kind of the highlights was the, the winner stuff. I mean, yeah, you, you got to most of it. It'll all be on our site. There's a lot there. Like, I mean, the, the practice stuff, the way he he's like, I'm a defender of practice, I think is the way he put it. Um, and he wants recruits to see him how they practice. Like, I, I think that to me shows there's a lot of pride in how we do it. And also, he said this. He said, I'm not changing how I practice for anybody. Like, it doesn't matter who you are, what recruits stars you have or any of that um terrence knighton's not changing his practice style and coaching ways for anybody um so that was interesting how i think they do want to get recruits which they'll of course have the opportunity to do like right there and see this is how we operate take it or leave it but this is it and there's a i it shows a lot of belief in the way you do things and structure things you know that that you want that um so that that part and then i think we can hit on this quick, but you know, Tony white and the, the defensive staff, they've got a challenge because they're trying to figure each other out right now. And so you, I do think that's going to be, it always is in the spring, but especially this year, it's going to be a very evolving thing where it's like, they're still learning the language of each other as they're teaching it to the players. So that's always a test. And then you're starting to, you have to figure out like, are some of these guys who are maybe hybrid type players, where do they fit best? He mentioned, I have a ton of defensive backs. There's mm-hmm. just like a ton of defensive backs. So what do you do with all those guys? I mean, you, I sometimes will think about like guys, it's like, oh yeah, that guy's on the roster. And we were pretty excited about him, like a Jaleel Martin or like a, you know, Kobe Bretts as a recruit or somebody like that. And so there are a ton of guys where you got to figure out their tiers or figure out, um, could they, some of those guys be a second level player on the defense? So, um, he touched on Tony white though, being very humble and open, you know, to the other coaches as they go through that process. So um, that, that those are some things that kind of caught my ear. That, that group, the defensive group is interesting because it's kind of split between what you would kind of term rule guys. Tony white is obviously not in that circle. Um, and then Tony white has a pair of staffers that he brought from Syracuse um, as quality control guys who, you know, are, are within that, the three, three, five world and, and how those, those two groups mesh, um, will be interesting to follow. And Matt rule 
to, you know, said that he's kind of stayed out of it for the most part. And he's kind of listened and, you know, he's like former linebacker. Um, he said that he's going to be very involved with the defensive line, uh, offensive line too, certainly. But, um, you know, just kind of waiting to see how everything pieces itself together um, over these next couple months before he really kind of starts swinging his weight around. And I, your, your point is about kind of what rules about defensive backs, I think is an important one because in previous meetings with the media, I, I think he referred to their ability to mix and match positions with guys and, and maybe try guys at different spots as I think he called it like the magic or something like that uh, with their staff. And in my mind, at least there, there's a lot more potential movement with guys on the defensive side of the ball than there is on offense. And even, you know, guy, maybe a guy on defense helps you, you know, somewhere on offense, but it, it just seems like there's such a glut of guys on that defensive back depth chart. Um, you know, the linebacker piece of it, you got to find some depth there, but they've got a lot of options. Um, you know, I, I would kind of look at those two spots as, as you know, potential movement places for uh, guys this spring. Yeah, you always wonder if DBs of a certain frame can be, um, could be a backer or, you know, or whatever you want to call them. I, I sometimes just say the second level, you know, like move up one one step. And um, there are probably a few guys capable of that. Uh, and, and that's where, you know, this staff, I don't really want to guess at who they are. You kind of want to get into the spring a little bit and, and, fill that out and ask some coaches like is there some guys you can move around or where are they going and and see what how open they are to talking about that as it's happening and it's fluid um but that's definitely going to be one of the storylines of spring like because i do feel like there's going to be like a couple guys that are notable moves at some point you know there has to be because there's just so many parts they're looking at for the first time and they've done it so much in their past. That's why I feel confident saying saying that because it's it's in their resume of, of moving guys and having success with it. So, um, like even Chief Borders, we can get into that. I mean, he was up front and pretty. Ver he's got a big frame, like impressive guy standing in front of you, six four, two forty. Uh, but he's he views himself as a flexible guy that can bounce around a lot. I think in the three three five defense, um, really like. Uh, just like a, a happy, he's a happy dude. You know, you can tell that like, even when he's up there, just like every comment, he's sort of smiling and um, just uh, has a upbeat way about him. And so that's encouraging to see a guy like him, one of those transfers who obviously fit in, has fit in very well. He's really embraced being a Husker and doing community stuff. Um, but also from a football perspective, if he, if he's pretty good, um, you know, they need depth there right now. You got Reimer and Henrich, but Henrich is coming back from an injury still. Um, and you would like a couple guys like built like chief borders there in the middle of your defense, if you can find them. So um, I, I, I was impressed by him yesterday and just sort of his first handling of like the Nebraska media and kind of being out front. Yeah. What, what did you make of Thomas Fedoni? Cause that's, I mean, obviously the stuff about, getting yelled at and, you know, wanting coaches last year, wanting them to play, um, even though they hadn't been cleared that, that, you know, will get the bulk of the headlines there. But what, what, what do you think his role can be? And I mean, he, he didn't sound at all to me like a guy that has had two pretty tough years at Nebraska since he arrived. I mean, we've, we've seen him play a handful of snaps, um, against Wisconsin a couple of years ago, but beyond that, it's been just setback after setback for him. But what did you make of, make of his session yesterday and, and kind of where things stand for him going into the spring? Yeah. He reminds me of the guy who was a recruit. I mean, just the way it's like, this is my mission. I expect to be over here by the end of it and the timing of it has changed, but that's where I'm going to end up. And you can believe it or not, but that's going to happen. So he's he's always had that sort of way about him, uh, which you need as an athlete. Um, I remember when he first got here, a couple of the older tight ends <laughs> said he, he had to be humbled a little bit. Like, you know, it is a different level. And I think that happens sometimes. 
Um, but I like how he talked through of, you know, the, he, he was the captain of the mini 12 person team that won the competition they were doing. And they were last place the first week, he said. And so they announced it like last place for Done. And uh, he was like, that ain't happening anymore, you know? And so he, he got on his guys and he sort of became very a good leader in the sense of like, this is how we're going to attack it and get points and all this stuff, the way it's set up. And um, this doesn't mean they were like the best workout guys. Like, and rule said that like borders and Fedone, cause they were up there. didn't mean they were like the best at the workouts. They just were good at the system that was in place and how they did it. And, um, but I think that showed some leadership qualities and sort of his makeup of like, ultra competitiveness like even in this like let's we're not going to be last again and in fact we're going to win this competition by a mile he also said that he's gotten better at um not letting one mistake like just weigh on his mind where he he, it drags him down he said that has happened before because he's such a perfectionist in like the football part of it and uh he's worked on that so that if you have a bad play you move on from it and it, it doesn't mean you know you don't have to dwell on some things as much. So, yeah. And there was a part about last year and what you do with him. I mean, I don't have enough context on that because um, it was sort of in the passing. There were a couple comments or questions asked about it. I just don't know enough to have a big opinion on it. But um, I think the important thing is that um, he's healthy now. Rule wants to be a little cautious with him this spring still. And I think that's smart. And that also, I think they were smart to not play him last year, that season. Like that to me is the most important thing. Like get that guy fully healthy to where he is, where he is at right now, where he feels like I can go ball now and be who I am as opposed to last year where you're trying to force it in November. Um, Like if there was any doubt, even 5% doubt last year at given his injury history, I think, from the outside looking in, I'm totally fine with what happened as far as not playing him. Felt like, I mean, even the first time around when he kind of went through it with the knee and came back, um, you know, late in that season, it felt quick to me. Um, I thought so. Yeah. And, and but, just kind of like a, kind of a similar situation of like, okay, let's, let's do kind of a, you know, a cost benefit analysis here of like, what, what, what are we really doing or gaining by getting him in, you know, a handful of snaps. And, you know, I I think caution is probably the best approach with him. I think that's going to kind of be where rule and his staff go anyways. Um, You know, he's talked so much about having guys available being the, the, the top priority for them. So uh, but he, I mean, that tight end group when we talked about it is such an interesting group with, between you know him and, and Gilbert and um, I mean, I'm trying to remember even who they have coming back in that group. Like Rall, yeah. Nate Borkercher. Borkercher, yeah. I mean, there, there's a lot of uh, a lot of playing time to be gained there, and you know we'll see it. We'll see if both of those, both Gilbert and Fedoni, are ready to to step in there because it's you know. The, the Satterfield at South Carolina did use tight ends in pretty unique ways. And it seems like that group at least has kind of different pieces um, it, it, that they can kind of put in that puzzle mm-hmm. to, to create some mismatches. So it, it's, it's going to be an interesting one to follow. And certainly if he's healthy, I, I think that's a, a position group that's trending up there. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there's the young guys, you've got your Rollins, your James Carney, um, Chase Androff was there uh, last mm. year. We'll see what happens there uh, with him. He's got a, a big body, but um, yeah. I th- and I think it's really interesting that just Bob Wager's coaching him and has that head coach experience and how that translates. And to me, I like it. I mean, I think that's a guy who's had to balance a lot of things as a head coach. Um, I always feel like if you've been a head coach at that, at a big time Texas school, you're probably pretty equipped to handle a room pretty well. So um, yeah, it'll be interesting how it plays out, but I, the confidence of Thomas Fedone sh- stuck out. It hasn't wavered. It doesn't seem like he mentioned that he briefly thought like, yeah, what, what should I do next year? You know, as far as the school, but it seemed like it was kind of a fleeting thought. 
And once his staff got here, uh, he, he dove in and it's, you know, a good sign when he's one of the two guys that's picked up to go up front, you know, by the head coach that that's, uh, probably the most encouraging thing more than anything that was said is Matt rule thinks he should be up there talking to us. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, anything else from yesterday we, or, or do we move on to the story of the week, which is of course, Nebraska basketball. <laughs> we can, uh, yeah, we can move on. Um, we'll have plenty more on the the old site um, from from yesterday throughout the week, of course. And our we're doing a California focus in recruiting, so we'll have that too, um, which is ongoing. There's a story, fresh story up there with Tony White talking about recruiting California. So all that's on the site. But yeah, let's let's talk some hoops. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. You're, you're at uh, Carver Hawkeye Arena. And it's uh, Nebraska basketball sweeps Iowa for the first time in in the Big Ten, Big Ten era. Uh, a game that if you looked at the, if you did the Fred Hoiberg, you got the glasses off and really kind of got the cheaters on and looked, at, looked down at the paper, that was probably not a game that Nebraska should have been in, um, given everything that uh, second chance points, re- offensive rebounds. Um, I mean, Nebraska shot well, but it it, uh, it just never felt like Nebraska was going to pull away in that thing. And then you look up at the end, and they're, they're they win by four. What 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 was kind of your vantage point of of everything um, and the way it played out? Yeah, Fred uh, looked at the stat sheet and he needed his glasses, said his eyes were going bad and was still having trouble reading it. And I think it might have been just because he didn't believe like yeah. that you can you can walk into the lion's den and uh, get get beat 33 to 11, I think it was, on second chance points, give up 21 offensive boards. Um, I don't think they would take uh, any offense to this because Hoiberg was sort of humorous about it himself afterward, which you can do when you win a game like that. But for a bit, it felt like you were watching like a like the sixth graders versus like the third graders when it came to the board work. You know, it was just like, oh, here you go. Like throw it up, miss it. The guy re- grabs it over another, a Husker, throws it back out, take another shot. Um, the thing is, Iowa only shot like 36, 37 percent, something like that. Well, Nebraska shot 58 percent. So this offense in this new look roster. um, they got it figured out a bit. It, and I think it that, you know, Hoiberg has always been thought of as a pretty good offensive mind, but he's really figured out how to cause problems for opposing defenses with the personnel that he has, which doesn't look like much at first glance. When you kind of look out at Nebraska's team, you're like, Oh boy. And, uh, but everybody just keeps maximizing. And what was amazing Brunts was Tominaga did not score in the second half. Um, Sam Greasel played very well, but he actually only had two points in the second half. Walker had seven in the second half, but did not finish in double digits. Although he probably has a bunch of scratches on his arm from getting hammered, going to the basket. He was like ticked off like four or five times. He didn't get a call. So he wasn't in double digits. And what I said with the other guys didn't happen in the second half. So they won that game despite all that with like Jamarcus Lawrence hitting three, three Sam Hoiberg going off for nine points in the second half. Um, Wilcher made some shots down the stretch. Wilcher was good. Wilcher had seven in a row when it was tied at 73, including the one, which was funny when he made it, it was no one covered him. 
He knocked it down, made a five point game with two and a half minutes. That was the first time that arena was like, oh, crap. Like, I mean, they were nervous a little bit as it was building, but it was suddenly like this could actually go the other way, you know. And um, Iowa played panic too the last two, two and a half minutes on offense. They played like a team that felt like the weight of the gym sort of after that three point shot, I thought. Um, And then Wilhelm hit the side of the backboard on one where I was like, oh, man, I just like kind of covered my face. And he came back and he hit, he hasn't hit a lot of threes, but he hit one when it was 64 to 60 Iowa that cut it to one. And I thought it was the biggest shot of the game. Cause I thought it was that point where either the Hawkeyes were going to put a gap here and win by 10 or Nebraska was going to put the, the heat on them in their own gym. Like, Hey, you're in danger of getting swept by Nebraska here that you, who you thought you owned as before this year. Um, so, yeah, that was a they were a pretty depressed fan base after that game because, you know, Nebraska took them in football and they took them in basketball there now. And obviously they've got women's basketball rolling at Iowa and, and then need to unseat them in wrestling. And then you'll really have those guys rattle. <laughs> there are Penn State's already in their head. They're, yeah. They're, uh, <laughs> if, if Nebraska jumps them too, it's it's uh, it's curtains over there. Jamarcus Lawrence had he was good, like really good in that yeah. game. And and the the funny thing was too though, like in addition to the turnover or the the rebound disparity, like Nebraska had some really really just dumb turnovers in that game, just lazy passes. Um, I know Hoiberg had one, Lawrence had a couple. We were just like, like what what's going on here? And Iowa just wasn't able to take advantage of it, but. I, I've been most impressed, I think, lo- like the potential of what Lawrence can be, I think, um, going forward, just based on the way he's played in the, on the back half of this season. Like he he's mm-hmm. stepped up, hit some big shots, and, and looked really confident doing it. Yeah, he has had 15 points the last two games, which are tying career highs, both of them. And it's the way he just elevates without any fear right now on the offensive end. Like early in the year, you could tell he was new, you know, one of the newer guys on the court. So it's sort of like, eh, should I shoot it? You kind of, you, you pass up and you're, you're not there yet. And I know he's worked hard behind the scenes and really on his de- at the defensive end too. He's become a pretty good defender if people pay attention. Um, and he can be, I think a pretty good on the ball defender as they go forward. So he's got great value. And yes, he's one of the most, he's probably the most encouraging individual thing to me um, because we don't know what's going to happen with Casey, obviously, but Jamarcus, you're pretty confident. I always say pretty confident because you know what era we're living in, but I'm not worried about it. I'm just saying, you know, where we're at and with the portal and stuff like that. But he's just like a guy you expect to be around for a while. And I, in December, I wouldn't have thought we'd be so, confident in him believing Mm -hmm. like this guy is like for a year next year or two going to be pretty sturdy and i think has the attention of other people in the big 10 now too so it's been quite a climb and uh it gives you an encouraging key piece as you sort of like have to fill in now with they're gonna have to do some off-season work obviously to replace like walker and grisel and um and um emmanuel but uh he's a good start so yeah, that's it's exciting, and now you now you gotta now you gotta make a little run in Chicago. That'd be fun. So if you're uh, paying attention to your NIT bracketology this morning, um, some bra- NIT bracketologists, and there's not many, um, but Nebraska potentially hosting Villanova as a four seed in one of the brackets if things break well. You're going to Chicago, I believe. Is that is that a go? It's still in the air. <laughs> I have many, a I have a rental car book, so yeah. How I'm, many how many suits you taking? <laughs> I'm taking five suits. This is different. <laughs> it was Jordan. Where you're making a Michael Jordan, I believe, a uh, '98 reference, and I think we're both Team Jordan, aren't we? I don't want to yeah. like turn off the Team LeBron guys here, but yeah, it's our era. Yep. Um, it's kind of funny by that by the way, like your era is the guy who, you know, Jordan's what, like 20 years older than us, but that your era is the guy who's actually like 20 years older. That was rolling when you were nine. Yep. Um, 
and Jordan before the 98 finals, it was, things were looking kind of tough in that series. And he said, I'm, I only took one suit, you know, um, on that trip. And uh, so I'm taking five suits. <laughs> you can mix and match. To Chicago. <laughs> okay, I'm taking I'm taking two suits with different shirt combinations. And, there you go. Maybe a vest. Uh, yeah. Um, no, I probably won't wear a suit. I'll probably wear a polo and spill on it. But yeah, I'm gonna go. I think the sport, the sports writer uniform, spilled yeah. polo. <laughs> what I mean, what? So they got Minnesota again for the third time. I mean, do, do you? Does this team feel like it's got at least like a two day run in it? Do you think? I mean, possibly. I think. I think the turn the conference tournament, especially those eleven fourteen games, are always kind of anything can happen. Like, obviously, Nebraska is the favorite. But um, some people say it's hard to beat a team three times. <laughs> so, there's some Fred, Fred says no, though, right? I, he We were talking about something else uh, NFL-related once, and I think he said the data doesn't actually say that. Um, so I don't know what, what's true on that. Uh, Minnesota hasn't given up on their year, though. They beat Rutgers last week, and they were toe-to-toe with Wisconsin in a four-point game. So I fully expect, like it's going to be kind of a tense game, you know? And I mean, you know, like even last year, Nebraska was feeling pretty good about itself when it went to the big 10 tournament and they built up, I think a double digit lead on Northwestern. And in that environment, you can have that bad five or six minutes and that's it. You know, like you give up that 13 to two run and it ends up doing you in. So they just got to really have a response. Um, when you know if minnesota gets that little five or six oh run here you you put you squash it right in its place and if you can consistently do that and then you know bust off a 12-0 run of your own at some point i i still think nebraska's got a lot working on offense it's going to make them a tough out in that tournament um they just got to get past the jitters of the first day and and then you would get maryland who they they beat in lincoln and maryland has kind of struggled away from their own gym um and I sometimes actually think there's an advantage for the team that won a game that's like used to, you know, they've played in the arena one night for that second game for like mm-hmm. a half, you know, so maybe you take advantage of that. We'll see. Um, but I think they could win a couple, maybe. That first, the first night, like the atmosphere is always really weird. Like it's the arena is kind of half empty. Like you kind of have, you don't have like the, the built-in buzz really like you, you're kind of having to, create your own energy it almost feels like an early mm-hmm. season you know neutral site tournament in some ways where it's you know you're playing in like a half empty gym in like south carolina or the bahamas or something like that um but i i think your point's correct i mean like the the one thing that nebraska has is it, it they feel like they're a little bit of a streakier shooting team too where it's like if you know case gets on one or something like that um you know, that, that, that's kind of a wave, I think, that they can ride a little bit or, you know, they get somebody else kind of clicking, something like that. But um, do, do you, like, what do you think they have to do in Chicago to, like, ensure that there's basketball on the other side of the Big Ten tournament for them? W- win one? Like, two, you yeah, feel I, really great? Two, one, I mean, if, if they win two, they there should be no doubt to me they're in yeah. NIT. Um, I I could make an argument they should be in. Like I mean, they're a good team. They're like an NIT team, you know. And if I know there's all these metrics, and the NET does not like Nebraska much. I don't like the NET much. Ooh. Um, just not because of Nebraska's standing, but I just think it's 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 got stupid quirks to it. Where like if people actually think about it, we now have a system they're using which they promote like in every game that's on TV where like if it's a 12 point game with a minute left, maybe, maybe you shouldn't uh, put in your reserves if you're losing. Cause maybe it's, you can get that to a nine point loss, you know, as opposed to a 15 point loss, which plays worse in the computer and all that stuff. And I, I understand over the whole, the totality of a season, those numbers are supposed to mean something about who's a tougher squad, but Nebraska right now is a tough squad. Like ask Iowa, ask Maryland, ask Rutgers. 
and they have four quad one wins. Um, they have a bunch of quad one losses, but that also tells you like, this is a, if they, even if they lost to Minnesota, that would be their first loss against a team that's not in the quad two. So if they beat Minnesota, they will have a resume that doesn't have one, what you would call really a bad loss on it. It's all like quality teams that they've lost to so far. And I just think that should count for something. I mean, Nebraska played a tough schedule and they are playing well at the end of the year. And um, I know maybe you're not supposed to factor this in, but yes, if they played at PBA, it would probably be the best NIT environment of the whole tournament. I say that pretty sound strongly. So yeah, I think they should be in, but you need one, I think, to kind of um, not give you that bad loss on the resume and feel a little bit better. And then two, if you got if they didn't get in, I'd be stunned. Yeah. What what would be their worst loss? It was like St. John's. Like is that something I mean, like on that. the road? They're they're I I don't have the numbers right in front of me right now. They're four and ten, I think quad one. I could pull it up, but um Oklahoma maybe like yeah that's a quad two loss um and then their quad threes and fours they're nine and oh or something if you combine them or more than better than that they haven't lost to those teams Minnesota is in that lower quadrant so they would they would and they would give Nebraska that type of loss if the Huskers lost this game but it would be their first and a lot of teams have one of those so um I don't know if if we're looking at the whole picture. I don't know that this one game against Minnesota should define everything for this team that I feel like it's <laughs> sort of has, has proven itself. But I think they need to go into that game thinking it's everything, you know, like you keep doing that and um, just just make it so they can't keep you out. That's what you're trying to do this time of year. So everything comes down to a third matchup against lowly Minnesota. That's where it's in a, <laughs> yeah. a half empty gym in Chicago. Yes. Um, As it should be. Feeling like an 8 a.m. Saturday game probably or whatever, like at the Y with the crowd the way it is. Some some noon ball. Um, Let's wrap up with some Nebraska baseball. They, uh, well, of course, home opener today uh, in Lincoln. The real field temperature, it's uh, cloudy and 36. That means Northern Colorado is coming to town and uh, they may not play. So, We'll see if they can get that in. But coming off of a three-game stay uh, up at uh, the Vikings Stadium up in the Twin Cities, finished the weekend 2-1. and one. Uh, Upset number seven, Vanderbilt, on Friday, 5-3. to three. Took care of business against Hawaii on Saturday and then ran into the old Miss buzzsaw on Sunday and uh, gave up an eight spot in the, in the bottom of the first, and that was all she wrote. So... I think overall I would take that as a good weekend though. Um, you know, we'll see what Vanderbilt is this season. I don't know that they're necessarily the lighter rocker Vanderbilt of, of the past few years, but um, that, that was a big win and they beat a really good arm um, for Holton from Vanderbilt um, in that, that first game. And just a, a couple takeaways from the, the series. Nebraska's continued to hit. They're they're hitting over three. I think they're hitting 316 as a team uh, coming into the midweeks. And, you know, just up and down the lineup, they're just really tough on uh, on, on, on imposing pitchers. They, they, in the past, have struggled to hit lefties. Not so this year. They can mix and match. Uh, a lot of offensive depth there. The, the thing for me that they've got to get figured out you like what you have in Emmett Olson and Jace Kaminska in those first two weekend starter roles on Friday and Saturday. Got to get Sunday figured out. Caleb Clark is, is struggling quite a bit. Um, you know, so we'll see if there's a change made there. And then just bullpen roles. Um, you know, I think they like what they have from kind of their their veteran top line guys like Garza. Shea Shannon was great on Friday against Vanderbilt. But the further they get into weekend series, and I think a lot of teams are like this, but certainly Nebraska, you, your your confidence level and who's who's running down that line into the game is a little bit less. So um, that's kind of what needs to get figured out over this 10-game homestand that they're starting. Uh, they don't play another game out of the state of Nebraska until April 1st. So an opportunity to run up some wins here 
and, and kind of get their house in order a little bit in that pitching staff before conference play starts. Yeah, I mean, just from a more distant uh, view than than you have of it, I would have never guessed they were going to have a winning series this last weekend. So, I mean, to me, it was like a major accomplishment. And you could probably speak to it better of like how much value. I mean, obviously, you don't know exactly what Vanderbilt's going to be like, as you said, but how much value that has on your resume when it comes to later and why you schedule those type of games because the losses don't ding you that much, right? But the but you get a couple of those, and man, it's everything. Yeah, no, those types of games, the neutral site wins over good opponents or you know, you go on the road and, and kind of handle your business against a good opponent early in the season. Those, those wins really travel with you um, when it gets time to, you know, NCAA tournament time. And Will Bolt wants to host regionals. That's his goal. And in order to do that, you have to schedule tough early in the season and you have to win. And that, that's the value of, of, you know, beating a team like Vanderbilt is, it's their RPI is going to be good. It's going to be looked at as a quality win, no matter what. Um, that's why, you know, that San Diego series, that was a good opportunity for Nebraska. And, and, you know, I think they're going to be a good team, but you know, those are the, the games that you have to win to help you later in the season. So, um, you know, I, I kind of looking at what the big 10 is this year, Maryland, I, I think is still going to be well thought of. I, I don't know that there's a ton of other, you know, potentially top 25 teams um, sitting out there in the conference right now. I think it's, you know, going to be some good teams, some NCAA tournament type teams, maybe not a top 25 team. So not a chance to, you know, really stack a ton of great wins. So that's why that, that win over Vanderbilt was really important. This is old news, but the the second weekend where they swept South Alabama, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, that was huge to me that, not just that they won the series, but that they swept it and that they got it right back to 500 and sort of, you know, cause it felt, I've seen a couple of Husker baseball seasons recently where they've had that tough start and you're kind of trying to get up that hill to get to five. You know how that number is in baseball to get to 500 or above. And then you're like, okay, let's go. Yeah. And so to immediately erase that bad, the bad feeling of the first weekend, I think if they have success this year, you got to go back to that series and say that was that was monumental to like right away like punch back the way they did. Yeah, no, I mean you you never want to be in a situation as a northern team where you're in a huge hole, you know, in, in terms of just win loss record and and for confidence too. I mean, I think this team felt like they were much better than what they represented in in San Diego, and to be able to you know, go out and, and really dominate South Alabama that whole weekend was really big, I think, just confidence-wise. And, I mean, let's be honest. I mean, they, they had a really tough season last year. And I, I think in order to kind of wipe that and, and really, you know, mentally turn the page to this season, you needed to have some success early on. So I, I'm with you. I mean, that was, that was a huge series, maybe not from a you know, national perception point of view, but just, you know, feeling really good going back to Lincoln after winning those three games down in Alabama. Yep. Well, it's good to, man, I felt really good seeing that win over Vanderbilt. It just was like, <laughs> I did like I, I was, uh, I was, I was in Omaha and I, I didn't track it. Wasn't tracking it until I saw the final result from you. And, uh, I was like, all right, like they got something going early and now let's, they can, they can really use that. So um, I think it did, it definitely bumped the optimism around here about things and that's good. Yeah. And so again, 10, 10 game homestand. Um, don't play another game out of the state until April 1st. So you're, you're kind of through that first section of the season where you, you try to win what you can. Now you're in the like, we, we got to take care of business against teams that you should take care of business against mm-hmm. um, with, with Northern Colorado, Illinois state. Um, you get a, get an Omaha matchup in there as well. And I think uh, I want to say Nichols state, the uh, founded by Dr. Charles Nichols. Um, <laughs> I think that's the next, I got them for four, maybe. Um, My friend Richard Kimball is not well. <laughs> Um, yeah, he, he sold all that Provasic and University. Yeah. 
so yeah, anyways, they're they're in that portion in the schedule where it's probably going to be a lot of cold and uncomfortable games at Haymarket Park. Uh, a, a lot of, uh, you might see a few Johnny Allstaff games. Uh, it's just Nichols, excuse me, no longer Nichols State, but uh, mm. they follow up Omaha, really? Illinois State. So, yeah, just uh, Nichols. Just Charles Nichols. Huh. Um, final question Would Nebraska and Northern Colorado cancel a game if it was over 65 degrees? <laughs> It'd be like too like, hot. What, what is this? All I, all I brought was turtlenecks and. You know, you got rubbing Vaseline on the ears to to fight the yeah. frostbite. Yeah, it's I I think they might get today, and we'll see. Um, but uh, former Nebraska head coach Mike Anderson now coaching Northern Colorado, mm-hmm. so I believe that means almost the entire coaching staff from the 2005 College World Series team will be in Haymarket Park today. Um, with the exception of Andy Sawyers, who is the hitting coach. So there's a little trivia for you. Yeah. Well, we'll have uh, all the coverage if there is from that and Chicago, and we got tons of recruiting stuff still coming this week and stuff from rule and the players yesterday. So there's a, there's nothing that that is lacking there. People should come to the site. I think. Yeah. Yeah. A lot. it's it's going to be a big couple of weeks of recruiting as they get rolling with spring ball. Matt Rule wants the recruits to see some practice, so they're going to be coming in and out of Lincoln. We'll have that coverage. Uh, going to start previewing the spring. I think uh, you know just a hey, this guy's still on the roster. This guy's at this position uh, to get you primed up for spring ball too. So we'll have all of that at Husker twenty four seven. Get to the site. We'll have another podcast later this week uh, talking California recruiting. With Greg Biggins, and uh, whatever else pops up in the next few days as well. So thanks for listening. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.